Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you who hear my voice. Thank you so much for tuning in to Closing the Gap. This conversation is with me, your hostess, Denise Cooper, and we are here to explore how you can get from where you are now to where you want to be, how to take those small steps that are going to lead you to have big results, remarkable results. And oftentimes it's all about one conversation at a time. My guest today is a fascinating person. So, and I know I say that every week. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? Your feedback has been, I'm getting, I'm getting it right. I'm getting it right. But let's talk about change today. We're going to talk about adapting to change. And I know everyone is talking about adapting to change, but how do you adapt to change? I say there's being an agent of change, which is generally what leaders are, versus people who are change agents, which are other people who may not have the role or the responsibility to lead change in an organization, but they are certainly responsible for influencing and inspiring other individuals. We're going to talk about what it takes to adapt to change from a very personal level, as well as from an organization and leadership level. We're going to talk about some tough questions. And, you know, it starts with humans really struggle with change, right? Especially if the change is about us and we didn't choose it. We resist it. We fear it. And we mistakenly believe that we can actually change it. Setting up those kinds of expectations often feels like we're out of control. And we have these hangovers from these expectations that don't seem to do us very well. Well, my guest today is April Rennie. She is known as one of the 50 leading women futurists by Forbes magazine. She helps individuals and organizations rethink and reshape their relationship with change, uncertainty, and a world that is constantly in flux. She's a trusted advisor to well-known startups, companies, financial institutions, nonprofits, and think tanks around the world. Some of the names you might know are Airbnb, Nike, Intuit. She just got off a call I learned today with Google, as well as the Inter-American Development Bank, as well as governments ranging from Singapore to South Africa to Canada to Colombia, Italy, and India. So when we talk about someone who has learned to deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that means from the perspective of local people, local governments, as well as companies, she is experienced at doing this. So with that, sit back, relax, and listen in on our conversation. Hello, April. Hello, Denise. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to have you. So, you know, everybody wants to know a little bit about the personal side on you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and also something that if people met you on the street, they kind of wouldn't notice that about you. 
Sure. So in the context of change, I often like to say that my journey to Flux has been the better part of 25 years. And I really bring three lenses to change, you could say. The first is the one you mentioned initially, that of a futurist. So I've been trying to help organizations better understand where the future is heading and how they fit into it. Second lens is very much global. So through my travels and my work and whatnot. And that has really taught me, while while my futurist lens has taught me that every single organization on the planet struggles with change in some way, not necessarily the same way, but there's so much we could be doing better. My global lens has really helped me understand how different cultures struggle with change, but also how every culture on the planet has developed unique ways of thinking about change, talking about it, traditions and rituals and concepts and all this sort of stuff, which there's so much we can learn from one another. Mm -hmm. And then the third lens is what I call the profoundly human lens of lived experience with change and uncertainty. And I like to say that my baptism or my entry into flux happened more than 25 years ago when I was in college and both of my parents died in a car accident. Oh, I'm sorry. And that, yeah, that was the moment where like whatever I thought my life or the future was going to be, it changed. The whole thing just flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. And I realized now that that was when I started really asking this question, these deeper questions around what do you do when you don't know what to do? And what do you do when the only thing you know is coming ahead is more change? Mm -hmm. And and that's taught me a lot about life, about work, about priorities, values, all the rest. And also just kind of this this notion of, to your point, where you are and where you want to be, it reframed that in some really helpful ways. Oh, good, good. You know, you mentioned a couple of times this little word called flux. And I happen to know, if you haven't gotten a copy of her book at this point, you really ought to get her book. It's called Flux, F-L-U-X, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in a Constant Change. So I'm not going to tell everybody all the eight because then they wouldn't need to read the book, right? (laughs) And there's some really good stuff in the book that will help people with not just understanding the concept of change, but how to apply it both to themselves, apply it to their teams, apply it to their organizations. And if you're a leader, a senior leader in particular, how to think about the world and organize change in a way that's actionable for your team, your company, and people around you out of it. So I'm not going to talk about We're not going to get too deep deep Mm -hmm. into that. But I would like to pick up a couple concepts. One that I think is really hard for people to manage is you say, number four is start with trust. Mm -hmm. So I'm digging in deep here already. Mm -hmm. Trust is probably one of those things that because, you know, when we're in change, we feel out of control. And the reason we feel out of control, at least this is my opinion, is because we can't predict. Trust is based on predictability. How do you manage through change when predictability is not part of the equation? Great questions. And we'll dig straight into the into some of these superpowers. And it's, it's interesting because people often ask me, like, what's your favorite superpower, right, of the eight? And I'm always like, don't ask that question. That's like asking what's your favorite child, right? <laughs> don't, don't do that. It changes every week. But also, I do say that this one superpower, starting with trust, it is sort of the super superpower mm-hmm. because it fuels and powers and shapes and filters so much else. Mm -hmm. And again, I am looking at all of this from the backdrop of when change hits, how do you move forward? Mm -hmm. When change hits, like really hits, who thrives and who falters? Mm -hmm. What are those disciplines and practices and skills? And when I say the superpowers, this is really the quote, how to 
thrive and practice change, thrive and constant change. And so starting with trust, it is not something that just, you know, a one and done quick fix that all of a sudden you learn how to start with trust. It is a practice. It is a discipline. It is something that each and every one of us wants to, to, to try to get better at each day. So zooming out for a minute, trust just as a whole, as a concept, Trust is the glue that holds teams and organizations and cultures together. Mm -hmm. It's the connective tissue that fosters respect and Mm -hmm. loyalty, shared purpose, like the willingness to go the extra mile for somebody. Mm -hmm. It's also both cognitive and emotional. So cognitive trust means trusting that people are reliable and dependable, that they'll they'll do what they said they'd do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Emotional trust means trusting that people care about and will look out for one another, right? Mm. Trust though, and this is where the backdrop of change, trust is also what holds people together during times of great change and uncertainty and helps us forge a path forward together. I like to ask one simple question. When change really hits, who do you turn to? Mm -hmm. You turn to your trusted relationships. And if you don't have many, you're in a world of hurt far greater than those people who do. Yeah. And yet today we're really, some people listening might've heard we're in this great trust crisis. Mm-hmm. Levels of trust are at all time lows or very near to all time lows amongst business, mm-hmm. government, mm-hmm. media, academia. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of found ourselves in this world in which the basic assumption, the default is humans are untrustworthy. And yet my view is nothing could be further from the truth. Now, right. I'm not saying blind trust or naive trust, but I'm talking about the average individual. We have designed a world in which or for which the average individual, me, you, like just the average person is deemed to be untrustworthy. I know. And it burns me up. Yep. And we're doing that on no real basis, right? Mm-hmm. I am not saying there aren't bad apples in the bunch and not everyone is, you know, but on the whole, like there's no human on the planet that's not born trusting. Mm-hmm. Infants, baby, they're born trust. We mm-hmm. learn not to trust. It is mm-hmm. socialized and often taught mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. And yet children, this is where, and I don't want to sound naive here, but children are often like, it makes no sense mm-hmm. to them because they see other humans is showing up fully human and like wanting to help one another and all of that. And then somewhere along the way, we become fearful and anxious and draw lines in the sand about untrustworthiness and so forth. Right. And so it's not just a practice, but in this chapter, I also go into what does it mean to design from trust? It's a very subtle, but very powerful shift. And it it affects how we design our HR policies, how we design our org charts, whether and how we delegate power and responsibility, as well as our relationships with family, friends, and in the broader world. Yeah. When I was in HR positions, head of HR, one of the things I would tell my staff all the time, we are not going to design policies for the 5% or the 2% that are going to be aberrant. Because what you do is you punish the 97%. Exactly. Who are just coming to work, doing the best job they can, and understanding that every day is a different day. We have a different capacity for that. And so it's never from an intention. No one wakes up, as you said, to be unworthy, untrustworthy, you know, to make mistakes. We we wake up saying we're going to do the best job we can do. We're going to get through that day. Now, circumstances contain us. So yesterday, I may not be as good as I am today, or tomorrow, I may not be as good as I'm going to be, or I may be in a role that I'm learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so I'm going to get better. 
but it's never from my intention of not being the best person that I possibly can. Yeah. I love how you bring in intention because that's actually the official definition of the superpower is I like to say when trust seems broken, Mm -hmm. assume good intent. Yeah. Assume good intent. Assume that if somebody screwed up, they didn't mean to. They wanted to do the best job. Assume that. And I think the last 12 to 18 months is a great point in time where no one has really been able to show up fully. We've been dealing with a lot, but assume, assume that people are doing their best. Assume that people are showing up with whatever they got, which may not be all that you expected, that they are doing their level best and that you can trust that they're in this with you, that they're really trying with all the might they've got. And that trust also that tomorrow's another day, right? Yeah. So when trust is broken Mm -hmm. and, you know, we see this all the time in organizations, either an employee doesn't trust their boss because as you said in the opening, sometimes we do things as organizations that don't engender trust, HR policies that don't seem fair. So from a structural point of view, we've got some issues in the way we treat people that leads them to believe that you don't have my best interests at heart out of it. But let's boil it down to person to person. So I'm in a situation where either my employee or my boss is doing things that, you know, I asked you to do something, you didn't do it. I asked you to take care of something, it didn't happen. The blame game begins to start. How do you get out of that? What's one tip or two tips that would help us just kind of go halt? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because you bring us, I love how every conversation I have about this teaches me something new or opens a new door, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, oh, this is totally worthwhile and useful and rich take. But blame and trust are two different concepts. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because my immediate reaction is, well, blaming them for not having done something is how is that necessarily a lack of trust? Now, what you're talking about is the cognitive trust. You're not dependable. You're not reliable, right? Right. But that's there's still in that a nuance of whether or not you're trustworthy, worthy Mm -hmm. of my, because I think a lot of people are struggling much more with the emotional trust. Okay. Are you really there for me? Because you can have somebody with high emotional trust. You know, they've got your back when push comes to shove. You know, they have a heart of gold. They might not be the most reliable person, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all have those friends, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. this friend and they're always late. So Anyway, back to your question, so much of what we're dealing with, with each of the superpowers, but also just like how we navigate change is to start unpacking. Where does this behavior come from? Okay. And tell me more. It's funny. We were talking earlier about stories. Tell me your story. Mm -hmm. Tell me there's something I don't know about you that will likely explain why you were unable to follow through why. And in particular, with regards to change, a lot of people reacting out of fear and anxiety about change, as opposed Mm -hmm. to some kind of hope. There's always a reason they're doing that. And Mm -hmm. it's usually a really valid reason that Mm -hmm. usually other people don't know about. Mm -hmm. And so you start to basically be able to Can you tell me a little bit more? Don't assume that they're untrustworthy. Assume that they had a really good reason for why they didn't follow through. And you need to better understand that. Right. And it's probably going to help you learn something about them that all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I had this completely backwards. So there's a kind of humanity in all of this that if we pause and take the time to get to know one another, right, we really start to get over some of those hindrances we have about trust and other aspects as well. But when we're really quick to judge and just say, never does what he says. That, you right. know, like we're never going to get to know each other. And we're never going to get beyond these obstacles we have about trust. Right, right, right. I, I get it. And that is the, you know, the human nature of yeah. when I lack information, I fill it in with the worst possible scenario. And Bingo. so the muscle is really pausing mm-hmm. and saying, is that really true? Yeah. You know, are they purposely 
doing that or something causing them to do that. Can you tell me a bit more about what's behind what happened? Like, Mm -hmm. and I like more broadly humans, as you noted in the intro, like we love certain changes, changes we opt into. So a new job, a new adventure, a new haircut, right? We really resist the changes we can't control. Mm -hmm. We have very complicated, messy relationships with change, but think about any one change. Some people could love it. Other people could hate it. Other people could be super fearful of it. Not a real agnostic. Like we all have different relationships to change, mm-hmm. but we should not assume that we know what another person's relationship to change or their reactions, their emotions about that particular change, that we know how they're feeling. Right. But if we pause to ask, then these reasons why someone is responding, for example, a change that's really easy for you might be really, really hard for me yeah. and vice versa. And you just assume it's easy for you. So it should be easy for me. And like, if I'm fearful or anxious, they're like, ah, you know, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. If you asked me why I'm fearful, I have a story behind why. And mm-hmm. when I tell you that story, you'll understand and you'll be like, oh, I hadn't seen it that way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like something else cracks open in our relationship, our friendship that helps us have empathy, helps us have compassion, right. helps, us, helps us help each other through change. Yeah. And trust is at the core of that. And so that's why with colleagues, like stopping to ask someone their story or to share a little bit more can go so far. And it also helps you realize often how backwards you've been about things like trust. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I work with people and they actually adopt that kind of Mm -hmm. behavior of Mm -hmm. just pausing and asking the question, you know, okay, tell me what happened here. Where did it go down? We were in this meeting. I thought we had an agreement. Something happened. If they do that a couple of times, what happens is people feel comfortable coming to you ahead of schedule. They begin to confirm in the meeting. Okay, let me make sure I got it right. We're going to have XYZ done by Tuesday. You want me to have this piece here, blah, 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 blah. And so suddenly the relationship, as you said, the emotional connection begins to rise. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking on a different level and those things that go awry because they always do, right? I can give you the benefit of trust. Yep. And also, I love this, Denise, and just building on that. Also, what I've seen happen is when people get in the habit and get the superpowers as disciplines, practices, Mm -hmm. things that you can do in little and big ways, but every day. And it's the little stuff that really adds up over time. But also when you learn to pause Mm -hmm. look around and just observe and listen, you also will find yourselves. I often find people, they're more likely to say, Hey, what do other people think here? Mm -hmm. Hey, I haven't heard from you. Like actually Mm -hmm. being more inclusive, Mm -hmm. getting input around the table Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they realize, Oh, everybody has a story. And if you actually understand, and this is a slight tangent, but this whole notion that like, just take a, a meeting around a table, right? And we assume that we know somehow how people are showing up to that table in terms of their relationships to change, but we have no idea. Right. We're trying to set a strategy. We're trying to develop, you know, KPIs and deliverables and all that. And yet everyone at the table is bringing baggage to that meeting that has nothing to do with the strategy at hand, but it's all about their longer term, their early relationships to change. Yeah. And if we actually expose some, talk about it a little bit, all of a sudden, whatever you're doing becomes much clearer, becomes Mm -hmm. much easier to execute on. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. when we don't allow that baggage, those feelings to show up, 
we say they have no place at the table. Mm-hmm. They actually do because they shape everything else. Yes. And it's not about having a collective therapy session. It's more about like, I need to get to know you mm-hmm. so that we can actually work mm-hmm. that much better together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And I'm so happy that you brought it up because in those meetings, those strategy meetings, we spend mm-hmm. so much time trying to predict what the future is mm-hmm. going to be, right? And we put our best scenario planning together. And if this happens, then this happens. If that happens, you know, we there are books on it. They're experts on the Mm if-then strategy, right? And yet the thing that I find trips my clients up the most is that once they've set in their mind that this is the path that we're going to go in, the project beginning, middle, and end, the number eight of your superpowers is what trips them up the most, which is let go of the future. Talk to me about that. (laughs) Love this. So that's great, Denise. And it's funny because as a futurist, I've had many people say to me like, you can't say that. You're a futurist. You can't say let go of the future. Like that makes no sense. And then I said, well, you know, put on your counterintuitive hat because each of the flux superpowers is counterintuitive or even contrarian in some way. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain. And just real brief though, at sort of framing this whole notion. I love that you bring up change management and, and strategic change and whatnot, because several people have said to me, oh, you wrote a book about change management. And I'm like, no, no. I wrote a book about our relationships to change, Mm -hmm. which actually feed directly into change management, but change management in a world in flux is completely incomplete and insufficient for the Mm -hmm. tasks at hand. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we talk about developing change management strategies. We worry about investing in uncertainty. We're so focused on what we're doing in the outside world. But many people fail to recognize or even realize sometimes that every single strategy, investment, and decision you make is fundamentally rooted in your mindset. Yeah. So do you see change from a place of hope or fear? Mm -hmm. That's not strategy, that's mindset, but it will color and shape whatever strategy you set. Do you expect that things will go to plan and then unravel or get fearful when they don't? That's not strategy, that's mindset. Mm -hmm. So that is the key, also the the link perfectly over to letting go of the future. You know, Mm -hmm. do you set your plans and then, or expect that things will go to plan and then get totally frazzled when they don't? That's because, you know, by and large, humans really want to know what's going to happen predict and control outcomes. We don't like it when things don't go to plan. That's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, what we're taught growing up is that the world is predictable and controllable by humans. And that mm-hmm. if your plans don't work out, that somehow you fail. Yes. Right. That's, that's, yep. That's it. And yet in a world in flux or just in general, but yes, it's true that some tiny things like physics, right? Gravity. Gravity mm-hmm. is mathematics. One plus one equals one. I shouldn't say little. I don't mean to underestimate the power of one plus one equals two, but like there are certain aspects of science that have some degree of predictability, but mm-hmm. by and large, the vast majority of life and what happens in the world, it is beyond anyone's person control. Mm-hmm. One person's control. Especially in business, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that a world in flux, and I think, again, the last 12 to 18 months have really taught us is that as much as we'd like to believe we can control what happens, what we are seeking is merely an illusion of -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is neither you nor I nor anyone can predict or control the future. We can only control how we respond, right? Yes. We can't predict the outcome as it's going to happen, but we can control whether and how we contribute to an outcome we'd like to see. Yeah. But there's no guarantee that it does. Mm-hmm. And so letting go of the future, this is not about failing or giving up or throwing in the white towel. This is about letting go 
of what you can't control Mm -hmm. in order to have real control over what you can. Mm -hmm. Or another way to put it is letting go of the belief or the need to predict the future. Mm -hmm. Because what's happening is that's making us miserable. No one can do it. Yet this is the heart, probably the hardest superpower. People just resist it. They want so badly to know what's going to happen. And yet the more they seek that, the more, as I like to say, the more twisted up like a pretzel and the more anxious they get. And then you throw this, okay, more flux in the future, more uncertainty, more unpredictability. We're not looking at a future of more certainty or more stability. Quite the opposite. We have to be able to level up the superpower. We have to be able to develop the ability to let go. But the beauty is when you can learn to let go, it's actually really freeing. Mm-hmm. It's actually really empowering. And going back to what we were talking about earlier with the humanity, it actually lets other people in. My thing with it, and I'm so happy we're having this conversation because I think from a structural point of view, one of there are two barriers that keep us from doing that. The mm-hmm. first is the performance management system. It's mm-hmm. based on you being able to guess what's going to happen 12 months from now. And yep. people say, oh, well, you know, you can change them in the middle of the month. You can, you know, have these many sessions, et cetera. But the reality is, is that we don't do that well as organizations, as leaders. We are, as humans, focused on what's the problem in front of me to be solved. The other is, is that, you know, if you're in the C-suite and a company, because we have these public markets and they are built on control and predictability, that is another pressure that causes us to have to feel like we have to be right. Because if a CEO is not right, the stock price goes on, people lose money in that. And of course, he or she is going to lose their job <laughs> over the time frame. And so these concepts are really great and I love them. And, and I think, you know, we have to move towards them. But I think there's some structural issues that we have mm. to look at that say, if we buy into the fact that we're in a change, a time of change, and people like you and other futurists have said, this role of change, as dynamic as it is, and as much as it is, it's going to last at least another 20, 25 years. It won't be totally predictable, but it won't be as volatile <laughs> as yeah. we are now. Well, I would say, and I won't even put a 20, 25 year horizon on it. I think it's as far out as you can look. Okay. But I think, because even, so think about it now, a year ago, major, major flux in the world. Yeah. A year later, I would argue just as much flux. It just looks a little different. Yeah. But you know, sure, we have vaccinations now, but we have no idea what reopening, future of work, this and that. We've got automation, we've got climate, we've got financial markets, all these things are in flux. And it's not that it like spirals out of control. It's just that it keeps on fluxing. It keeps on. And that roller coaster, it's going to continue. And I don't think it, I mean, I am an optimist because I don't like the alternative, but if I wanted to cast a really interesting light on this, there's a part of me that thinks that the last 18 months has just been a warm up Mm -hmm. for what's ahead. I go back even further than that, because I think, you know, now we're getting to the point where we understand what technology can do. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and we're making it consumer friendly, where before it was really academics for businesses, that kind of thing. But now we're starting to see the impact of social media and consumer mm-hmm. kinds of things. You know, this morning's announcement that Amazon now has a robot that just kind of wanders through your house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kinds of things. And, and I think we're just at the beginning of this commercialization of technology yeah. on top of climate change, on top of you know, borders are, we're going to have to deal with borders, et cetera. 
whether they're going to stay up or down. You know, yesterday I, w- I woke up and, you know, there's a big article about the UK and lines and they can't get gas and they can't get food and they can't, you know, do all these other things. Why? Because they don't have enough drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this idea of we have solid borders has come to bite them in the butt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, you're like, so, so Brexit, really? You thought that, yeah. But you're right. And Astro, the Amazon little robot, and then back to the borders. And then there's another camp that's saying, you know, even the concept of a passport is really outdated. Yeah. Like, why are like, so all of this is in flux. We have no idea how it's going to turn out. And I, I love that. Right. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, trying to set strategy amidst all of that, it can make your head burst. But I want to go back to what you're talking about in terms of some of the structural changes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is a lot of what I spend my time doing as a futurist is Mm -hmm. trying to help companies and a range of organizations figure out where is the future heading, but how do we fit in? How do we prepare? And one of the biggest themes that comes up is that companies, when they do their forecasts and their projections, by default, they're kind of trying to make a prediction about the future. And if numbers, if results do not meet those metrics, they will have somehow not predicted the future. And yet no one can predict the future. So mm-hmm. for me, the big shift is to go, is to, to move from trying to, as I like to frame it, predict the future that's going to play out, which we know is not likely going to happen, <laughs> to the shift is from predicting one future to preparing for many different possible futures. Mm-hmm. And that's what's called scenario planning or scenario mapping. Mm-hmm. And it's a very common tool used by futurists and more and more some companies, but by a long shot, not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're basically casting out what might possibly happen. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, at the end of that, you know, the more possible futures, the better. And it's everything from utopian, you could say, to totally dystopian and apocalyptic and everything in between. But you're looking mm-hmm. at what are the macro forces that are likely going to affect us. But key, you have to be looking outside your sector. You have to be looking at things like happening in the world that could blindside you one day or one mm-hmm. quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pandemic, great example, right? Anyone in the futurist world, like a pandemic was not a surprise at all. Not right. at all. It's been on our scenarios. It's been in our planning forever. It's kind of amazing. It didn't happen to this degree already. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving forward, then you're kind of casting these different scenarios. And in fairness, you are saying, okay, our best guess is it's going to land somewhere, you know, we'll go with this particular scenario kind of thing. But the key is to actually be prepared should any one of them happen. Not yeah. having a bulletproof watertight strategy, but simply knowing what would we do next if mm-hmm. X happened. Mm-hmm. That's a really smart, wise, like accessible way of moving through some of this. Right. I'm glad you brought it up. I've I've forgotten that when I worked for the gas company in Chicago, we spent a lot of time in the scenario Mm -hmm. planning part. And then when I came to to Charlotte, we talked about the possibility of, you know, then it was the flu, the avian flu or, or some other pandemic kind of thing. And I remember being the laughing stock of the staff meeting because Mm -hmm. I was saying, you know, well, if people can't come to work, Mm -hmm. if parents can't trust that they can have their children because we've got active shooter issues, those kinds of things, how are we going to continue to run the business? And they were, ah, you're now it's taken 14 years for me to go. "Mm, mm, 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 Told you, told you, told you. Yeah. And and I think because of technology, some of the things you were talking about, I just imagine a world with the better part of 8 billion people having access to how much technology and how, yeah. like, that's a separate conversation about our relationships to technology. Right. But 
but each and every one of us has, well, we can't control the future. That's for sure. We're less and less able to do that, but we do have more and more kind of agency over what we can put in the world, which can create all kinds of flux and unknowns. Right. And that's the kind of thing I look at and I go, we are barely getting started with this. It does go back to looking at some things that you talk about in the flux thing. One is the see what's invisible and get lost in that. See what's invisible is we've got these structures, performance reviews, the way we we show up as leaders to be heroes Mm -hmm. instead of nurturers and shepherds of processes and helping people to be more change hardy, flexible, and to plan for a couple probable scenarios that are going to happen. And then how do we reward them in the workplace so that it encourages people to take the risk, to think of multiple, and then try to stretch their skill set or, you know, think about how the, the structure of the organization needs to be so that we're really focused on how do we become ongoing kinds of concerns rather than are we going to make the next quarter? Are we going to make the next year Yeah, kind of budget? Yeah. And how to boost, as I like to call it, how to boost your flexiness. Yes. Five different things I want to say here. Let me pick one because it's come up in my mind a couple of times and it's really around the leadership through this. And how do we, what does it mean to lead through change? Right. And another way I've often heard is humans love change. We hate being changed. Mm-hmm. We love That's the noun. We hate the verb. And leading yeah. through change is like, no, thank you. Someone else can take that job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I want to kind of tying together a couple different things we're talking about here, the role of technology, how leadership changes when, yeah. when no one has the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of leaders today, historically, certainly, and this legacy continues to today of assuming that like, because you're the leader, we expect you to have the answers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, no one, I don't care if you're junior mid-level, senior, no one has, quote, the answers. And anyone who tells me that, let's just take hybrid future of work. Mm -hmm. If somebody tells you, we got it all figured out, that to me is a red flag that no, they don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) There's a kind of humility. There's a kind of acknowledgement of what, of being radical comfort with uncertainty. Yeah. That's the superpower. Mm -hmm. And comfort with ambiguity and comfort Mm -hmm. with not having the answer and being the leader saying you don't have the answer. Now it's Mm -hmm. hard, but I want to go back to sort of more this like the role of technology and living in a networked world. Mm -hmm. Historically, we thought of the leader as the person like at the top of charter in the center, like somewhere prominent. Right. And yet as being the most powerful person in a networked world, the most powerful person in a network isn't the biggest one. It's not the one at the top or at the center. It's the most connected one. Mm-hmm. So think about drawing any kind of a network. The most connected node is the most powerful one. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for us trying to navigate through change? It means the more close and trusted relationships you have to other people and the more diverse, the better, the better you're going to be not just to navigate change, but to handle any of those scenarios that might come your way. And so as leaders, it's not about look at me, lead, I'll have the answers. It is about, can I actually get out of the way? and bring in as many people as possible to help lead, develop the solution, find the path forward, et cetera. But the best leader today is the one who can identify and harness the leadership capacity in others. Yeah. And that's that's not what we're typically taught to think leaders look like. Or admit. And yet, oh, yeah. And the best leaders are often, and I don't want to say it relates to see what's invisible, Mm-hmm. But a lot of the best leaders are the ones that are not openly visible. They're certainly not the yeah. ones with the ego saying, look at me, look at my corner office or my business card or whatever. They're not, that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. But that to me gets really exciting because we're opening up and there's so much room for emerging leaders mm-hmm. to really start, you know, making waves. 
mm-hmm. and, and guiding others. And inspiring um, and, and influencing exactly. other people exactly. in their network, whether yep. they're, you know, there's some book, strong ties, weak ties in our network. So being able to, you know, how many degrees are you really from getting to the answer or possible expert who might have an answer or the thought that will shift you into a place where the answer is logical and and something that is achievable exactly. is an important yep. way to think about how we define what true leaders and the, what the success of a leader is supposed to be. What does that model look like? And how does that, you know, feet on the ground, boots on the ground kind of thinking go? Yeah. And I love that you bring up like feet on the ground. I think that more and more leadership that is defined by one's CV and credentials yeah. is also incomplete. Yeah, I find again and again, the people whose experiences off their resume, what we don't, again, we don't quote unquote, see it. It's seen as invisible because it doesn't have the kind of, it doesn't look like what we expect to see on a resume. Mm -hmm. That's the game changing stuff. Yeah. It's the stuff that you learn through difficult personal experiences. It's the stuff I always joke, like why parenting skills aren't quote allowed on a resume or not seen there is beyond me. Mm -hmm. The moment anyone can tell me that they can raise multiple kids and micro, you know, and do this multitasking and the homeschool, like, I'm sorry, that's the best project manager. I've seen. I don't care if you've had a job. I don't care if you've been paid for it. Like why teach them the tools, that? but they yeah. have the propensity, the personality, the habits yep. to be able to make it work. You're absolutely yep. right. You're absolutely yep. right. So boil it down to us. Everybody likes those, you know, microbite nuggets now. Mm-hmm. Boil it down to us to what is it that if we're talking about our leaders, because you know, we all learn by role modeling and the leader sets the tone in the organization. Mm-hmm. What is it that we need to be thinking about? For leaders to make it very clear that they don't have certainty, they don't have all the answers. There's a shift from certainty to what I call clarity. We do not know exactly what's going to happen, but you have our word that we are in this together, that we have your back. I mean, this goes back to trust. This goes yep. back to integrity. The way I like to put it is think of this either as an individual or an organization. What makes you you, even when everything else changes. Oh, wow. That's and I love that question. Most people can't answer it. And, yeah. and that's not surprising, right? But right. an organization, what makes that organization, that organization, even when everything else changes. Yeah. And it's typically not their product or service. It's not their website. It's those fundamental values and groundedness and a leader that can be rooted in that mm-hmm. and say, we do not know. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable saying that. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, And I don't see it as a weakness. I see it as a strength. Vulnerability in a world in flux is a strength, not a weakness. All this stuff gets flipped upside down. But that leader has clarity of vision and clarity of purpose and clarity that the most important thing in the company are the humans that keep it going. That's where you start. Yeah, Yeah. that is that that is a great place. Unfortunately, we've come to that end. (laughs) I hate it. How can people get a hold of you? And tell me again the name of the book. The name of the book is Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. And you can find it at fluxmindset.com. That's the book site, which has lots more information on the book and other things. The book itself is on Amazon. It is at every retailer out there. You can find it. It is a hard copy. It is an ebook. It is an audio book that I narrated, which was super fun. And then fluxmindset.com is everything about the book and a little bit about me. And then aprilrinney.com, my name. That is also my personal website where I didn't actually mention the things that people don't know about me at the beginning. So <laughs> usually what I mention 
and some people do know about it is that I do handstands. Oh my so goodness. You can find my handstands around the world on aprilrinney.com forward slash handstands. All right. All right. <laughs> it has been so, I mean, this has just been a wonderful conversation and all kinds of possibilities. I hope you guys have listened and learned. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.